Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, while Jaina helps Tahiri with the battle within her own mind, Han and Leia travel to the edge of Alliance space to fix a relay station, and they receive help from an unexpected source. Meanwhile, Luke and Jason arrive at Zanama Seacott. Can they convince the living planet to return from hiding? and join the fight against the Yuzhan Vong? We'll find out in Force Heretic 3 Reunion by Sean Williams and Shane Dix, book number 17 in the New Jedi Order series. And joining me to talk about the book today is Jay. Jay, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, Aaron? I'm doing pretty good. So how are you enjoying your reread? Of the NJO, now that we're closing in on the end of the series? I, I've still been really enjoying it. This is still feeling like I'm coming home to Star Wars. Um, I remember reading these like and having to wait for them um, when they released, and it just it feels really good coming back to these all these years later. So, no spoilers for the listeners, but have any of your opinions on the series changed? as you've gone through this reread? Uh, I don't think so. I actually still am fairly firm in believing that this is probably one of the best Star Wars series out there. And I, I really do think it capital, or I shouldn't say capitalizes, but really captures the essence of Star Wars. Hmm. Well, Jay and I will talk more about that and our opinions on this book in the second half of the show. But before we get into reunion, let's hear from our listeners. We have two emails today. The first comes from E.H., who says, I just wanted to ask you why you didn't mention the left-hand tremor in Bane that was seen at the very end of the book in Zana's left hand directly after the battle. I like to believe that Darth Bane kept going into the new Sith, right down to Palpatine. Well, thank you very much for the email, E.H. So, E.H. is referencing the first few episodes of the podcast that I did on the Darth Bane trilogy. In the series, as Bane delves deeper into the dark side, he gains more power. But, as we know, the dark side of the Force consumes a person's body when they do that. So in Bane, it starts to manifest itself as a tremor in his left hand. When Bane's apprentice Darth Zana defeats him at the end of the series, it ends with Zana having a small tremor 
in her left hand. That's a quick recap of what E.H. is talking about. Jay, what do you think about that opinion? And do you believe that the Sith are literally continuing on from Bane to Palpatine? That's actually a really interesting question. And I've never really thought about that before, but there's part of me that after reading this was like that, I would actually kind of love that. Um, I remember reading some of the old Republic novels and they talk about some of the uh, Sith emperors that had lived on for a long time. So uh, I think it would actually be, it would be a really interesting story arc if, Bane in some way continued all the way to Palpatine and into Vader and uh, beyond that. I think that would actually be really interesting. So I really like your interpretation of this EH, but I think what the author Drew Carpishan does really well here is he leaves it open-ended for you, the reader to decide whether this is the case for yourself it works as a little piece of bane continues on i would say for me personally i don't think bane is physically continuing on through zana and then through the other sith lords for a thousand years all the way to palpatine i think the rule of two was set up so that the knowledge of the Sith continued on. But again, I think the great part about this is that the author makes it open-ended and makes you think about, well, could it really be Bane still in there? So honestly, if it works for you, EH, great. But I think it works either way. I, I really do. I think it works either way. Our second email comes from Joe. Joe says, I just found your podcast and I love it. I love Star Wars Legends. My favorite is the Fate of the Jedi series. Abeloth the Mother might be the best villain in Legends. I've been watching the Ahsoka show and I'm getting the feeling that they might be introducing Abeloth into canon. What do you think of the Fate of the Jedi series? And do you think they will ever bring Abeloth into canon? Have a great day and keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much for the email, Joe. I enjoy the fate of the Jedi series. Just like anything in Star Wars, I think it has some really good parts and it has some parts that don't work for me. I would say Abeloth specifically is one of the parts of the fate of the Jedi series that I'm not as keen on as a lot of people who enjoy that series. I will say, looking at the Ahsoka show, I could see where that might be happening. Now, do I think that's where it's going to go? I don't know. We do know that Dave Filoni is a big fan of Legends. He has brought other parts of Legends into canon. I wouldn't put it past him trying to bring something like Abeloth in. 
I think if he's going to bring in Abeloth, I think it would probably stay in that other new galaxy that we're in and probably would not make its way back to the galaxy that we are familiar with in Star Wars. Jay, do you have any thoughts on Joe's email? Uh, I, a little bit. Abeloth is a character I wasn't really familiar with until sort of those um, fan theories started flying uh, with Ahsoka. Uh, Fate of the Jedi was kind of where I stopped reading. Um, I think Omen might have been the last one that I read. And then I kind of trailed off with my Star Wars reading after that. So I'm not super familiar with Abeloth, but from what I've just seen and the little bit that I've read online, uh, I would definitely say we're probably going to get it in Ahsoka. In what context? Unsure, but I, I, I agree with you where I think it's going to stay in that far-off galaxy and it's going to be a storyline there and it doesn't actually make it into the main universe. Thank you again for the email, Joe. Now, listener, if you want to be really cool, like Joe NEH, and you would like to have a question answered on the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Stay tuned for the end of the show where we have a very nice email from a listener who is diving into the Star Wars Expanded Universe for the first time. I can't wait to share that with you. But now it's time for today's book, Force Heretic 3 Reunion by Sean Williams and Shane Dix. Jay, ready to go? I've got my blaster strapped on. Let's go. Oh, nice. Well, grab yourself a drink and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins on the planet Onadax. Han goes to the Thorny Toe uh, Bar, trying to find his Rin contact. After winning a game of Sabacc, Han is dragged by the bouncer to see the boss. He is brought to a back room where there is only a speaker box. After a brief, brief conversation with an altered voice, Han is thrown out, but he can't shake the feeling that there is something familiar about the mystery speaker. While on the Salonia, Tahiri continues her internal struggle against her Yuzit Vong personality, Rina. The two ignite lightsabers and battle on the edge of an abyss in Tahiri's mind, while Jag Fell watches by her bedside. Tahiri's brow is drenched in sweat and her hands grip the sheets tightly. On the calm, Jag hears a conversation between Han and Jaina, talking about what happened at the bar when suddenly the noises of the city seem to explode. It's a riot, and that means it's time to leave Onadax. In the Unknown Regions, the Jade Shadow hones in on Zanama Seacott. Our heroes have tracked the planet to the gas giant Mobus. But every time they try to jump to the planet, the Jade Shadow is roughly pulled out of hyperspace. It's like something is keeping them out. When Luke tries to contact Mon Calamari, Jason and Saba feel something powerful and strange in the Force. It can only be Zanama Seacott. 
It feels like the planet is calling out, distressed, frightened, and angry. And it offers them a pathway in. Luke contacts their Imperial escort with instructions to jump immediately into hyperspace. Almost instantly, they arrive at Zadama Seacott, but find the living planet under attack by the Yuzhan Vong. On Yuzantar, Shimra tortures a Shamewan for information on the heretics. The Shamewan refuses to answer the Supreme Overlord and is killed. Shimra has the Shamewan tossed into a pit. He praises the priestess Nagla for finding and destroying the heretics and encouraging her to keep up her investigation. Namanor watches from a villip, hidden within Nalga's cloak. It's time for Namanor to ramp up his plans, but first, he needs time. Namanor uses five heretics as fodder for Nalga's in investigation. The former executor feeds them false information to pass on to Shimmer's spies to get them off the Prophet's trail. Just before the Millennium Falcon leaves Onadax, they pick up a passenger. It's Droma. Leia asks the Wren if he knows who the head of the Wren network is. Droma says no. The head of the Wren network has hidden their identity very well, but clearly they're trying to help. Droma tells Leia they need to head to the planet Esfandia, at the edge of the Unknown Regions. He says the Yuzhan Vong have attacked the relay station located on the planet, trying to cut off communications with the Chiss. Leia orders Han to head to Esfandia immediately. If the relay station is destroyed, not only will that stop the Alliance from being able to talk to the Chiss, but it will cut off all communications with Luke and Jason. The crew of the Jade Shadow slowly awake on the surface of Zanoma Seacott. As they come to, they start piecing together what has happened in orbit. Zanoma Seacott destroyed the Yuzit Fong ships, then seized control of the Jade Shadow and brought them down to the planet. Luke is certain that Zanoma Seacott knocked them unconscious. When our heroes exit the ship, they are met by two Furoans, the locals of the planet. At first, the two Feroans seem angry that the Jedi are there. But a third Feroan emerges from the trees. She identifies herself as Jabatha, the Magister, the one between Zenoma and Seacott. The Feroans refer to Zenoma Seacott as two separate entities. Zenoma is the planet, Seacott is the mind. When Luke asks Jabatha about the use of Vong, the Magister says Vergeer saved them from the Far Outsiders decades ago and gave them time to prepare for when they returned. Jaina takes her turn watching over Tahiri. Jaina can feel a fire inside the young Jedi, but she doesn't know how to help. She can feel in the Force that the young woman is slipping away. Jaina creates a mind meld with Tahiri in the hopes of strengthening or at least reinforcing her in her struggle. Deep inside Tahiri's mind, the Jedi and Ryanna continue to duel, but they both feel like something has changed. Something is coming. Ryanna says they should face the threat together, or it will destroy them both. 
a voice is calling out to Tahiri from beyond. But she stays focused on Ryanna, the enemy in front of her. Tahiri hears the voice again, and this time she can't help but look toward it, into the shadows. Ryanna takes the opportunity to push away from their duel. She screams at Tahiri, I won't let you kill us, and runs off after the voice. On Zenoma Seacott, Jason draws the interest of a young Faroan girl named Tessica, who keeps watching him from a distance. Jason invites the girl to talk, but she says she shouldn't because Jedi and their lightsabers can be dangerous. Tessia says she knows this because Anakin killed a bloodcarver. Jason is shocked to hear his brother had come to Zenoma Seacott without his knowing. He's eager to learn more and asks the girl who was the other Jedi that accompanied Anakin. Tessia responds, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Stunned, Jason rushes to tell Luke and the others what he's just learned. On Esfandia, Han and Leia discover the relay station is mobile, built on an old AT-AT. They also find a large Yuzhan Vong force in orbit, searching for the base. As the Falcon and Salonia prepare to engage the Vong, a pair of Imperial Star Destroyers drop out of hyperspace and launch TIE Fighters. It's Pelion! He attacks, allowing the Falcon to slip into Esfandia's atmosphere. As they search for the communication base, the Falcon passes dozens of floating, flower-like objects. Soon, the scanners pick up a transmission. It's one they've never heard before but 3PO translates. It's the giant floating flowers. They're sentient beings. And it turns out, they know where the relay station is. Falling deep into the mind melt, Jaina searches for the bright spot that is Tahiri. She sees two figures through the fog, dueling with lightsabers. It's Tahiri and Rena. Jaina watches as the two figures turn and face a shadow. Tahiri thinks about just giving up, but Rena wants to fight the shadow together. Rena says Tahiri is strong. Tahiri won't accept that she and Rena are connected. Left with no choice, Rena tosses her lightsaber high into the air and extends her arm. Tahiri watches in horror as the blade falls and slices through Rena's wrist. Suddenly, Tahiri is struck by a terrible, blinding pain. Lying unconscious on the hospital bed, Tahiri screams. On Zanama Seacott, the Magister tells Luke the story of the Bloodcarver, an assassin that had taken her hostage when she was a child. Jabatha's abduction made Anakin Skywalker angry, and the Padawan lashed out with the Force, killing the assassin. Jabatha says that Seacott recognized a part of Anakin in both Luke and Jason, and that was one of the reasons they were allowed to land on the planet. Jabatha says she will confer with the Council about whether to help against the Far Outsiders. Mara says that no matter how strong Seacott is or how far it runs, the Yuzhan Vong will keep coming, especially if the Galactic Alliance is defeated, because then... Seacott will have no allies left in the galaxy. Later that night, Saba awakens and receives a warning through the Force. Suddenly, the hut 
her group is staying in collapses. Saba struggles to crawl out of the rubble when she's knocked down by someone. Saba looks up and sees a group of Rowans running away, carrying Danny and Dr. Haggerty. Saba gives chase and catches Dr. Haggerty's abductors, freeing her. When Saba returns with the doctor, she tells the others what happened. Then she and Jason head off in pursuit of Danny's kidnappers. On Esfandia, Pelion tells Jag to take out a Vong picket ship. Jag does, but his claw craft is damaged. When he returns to Salonia, Jag finds that Jaina is in a coma in Tahiri's room. Trapped in Tahiri's mind, Jaina watches as Ryanna stands over Tahiri with a bloody hand. Screaming, Tahiri drops her lightsaber, cradling her own injured hand. We're one, Ryanna says. We must learn to live together, or we'll die. Ryanna says they must merge, becoming something new, both Yuzhan Vong and Jedi. Ryanna says that Tahiri doesn't feel survivor's guilt over Anakin's death. She says Tahiri feels guilty because she's learning to live without Anakin. Tahiri and Ryanna join hands and turn to face the creature of guilt and despair, the person trying to keep them in this cycle of pain and misery. Jaina. Jason and Saba chase the Furuans through a jungle to a clearing. Jason sees Danny lying unconscious on a stretcher, but he is unsure of how hurt she is. The Faroans turn to fight, but Jason refuses. He convinces the kidnappers to take the two Jedi as extra hostages for their leader, a Faroan named Senshi. Jason and Saba are marched to another Faroan village, where they learn Senshi has also kidnapped Jabatha. Senshi says he was forced into action because the Magister has forgotten the devastation from the last time Zenoma Seacott faced the Far Outsiders. Jason is shocked that Senshi remembers the time before the crossing. He says Senshi is making a mistake. Jason says that if they don't join each other against the Yuzit Bong, then Zenoma Seacott will eventually have to face the Far Outsiders alone. On Esfandia, 3PO talks to the giant flower-like beings, known as the Cold Ones, and learns where the relay station is hiding. It's underground, in a cavern. But they better hurry. There's a coral skipper on its way. The Cold Ones lead the Falcon to the cavern, and our heroes find the station. After a brief tour, the captain of the station takes Leia into her office. When she makes sure the room is secure, the captain goes into her safe and produces a villop. That's how the Vong were called to Asfandia. There's a traitor on the station, and Leia has a plan to root them out. On the Salonia, Jag takes Jaina's hand and asks her to wake up, because Jag loves her. But Jaina remains trapped in Tahiri's mind. Rina tells Tahiri they need to kill Jaina, but Tahiri refuses. She takes Rina's hands, and the two begin to come together. Tahiri and Rina embrace, slowly merging into one being. In the hospital room, Tahiri and Jaina wake up, surprising Jag. 
He jumps when Tahiri speaks a Vong, a Vong word. But Jaina convinces Jay to let Tahiri be heard. Tahiri thanks Jaina and for helping her and Rena become one. She swears to aid and protect Jaina as long as she lives. When Jag asks if, T- if Tahiri is okay, she says she is something new. Jason and crew are led to a grove of wild borass trees. The borass start to attack, but Jason connects to the trees through the force. Jason opens his eyes, and the borass start to recede. He tells Saba it's over when he hears a voice from behind. In some ways, it's just begun. Jason turns around and sees Vergier. It's Seacott, the planet's consciousness, which has taken the image of Vergier and tells Jason it was testing him. When Jason asks if he passed, Senshi releases Jabatha and Danny finally awakens. When Seacott offers to provide Jason with super weapons to fight the Vong, he refuses. Danny and Saba are shocked and confused. But Seacott, in the image of Vergier, smiles. The living planet says Jason has passed the test. Seacott then makes an announcement across the planet. It will return with Jason and Luke. Zanama Seacott will help end the war with the Yuzhan Vong. With the falcon trapped beneath the surface of, of Asphandia, Tahiri comes up with a plan. Everyone is on edge until Jaina says she trusts Tahiri with her life. Aboard one of the damaged Vong vessels, Tahiri makes contact with the Yuzhan Vong commander. She says that if the Vong allow the Alliance forces to land at the relay station, she will betray the Jedi and hand the Yuzhan Vong victory. It's a ruse, of course. Tahiri, Jaina, and Jag meet up with Han and Droma on the surface of the planet and destroy a transmission tower, signaling Pelion to call in reinforcements, a ragtag bunch of ships from the Rin network. Severely outnumbered, the Vong attack and are quickly wiped out. On Yuzhantar, Shimra questions his inner circle, demanding to know who is undermining the Supreme Overlord's plans. He knows someone in the palace is responsible. As Nominor watches the accusations thrown at High Priest Jackin, several warriors emerge from behind Shimra, but they don't approach Jackin. Instead, they surround Ngala. Shimra applauds the evidence the priestess has uncovered, but the Supreme Overlord did his own interrogations, and the accused gave him a much different story. Shimra orders the warriors to execute Ngala, but before she's dragged away, the priestess shouts her loyalty to the true Vong leader, Yu Sha, and bites down on her suicide vial, taking her own life. Naminor watches on his villop as Ungala's body is thrown into the pit. The fake prophet stares in silence, wondering how long until his body joins the dead priestess. The story ends on Asphandia. Leia roots out the traitor and Ugnaught, who works for the Peace Brigade. Once they take the traitor into custody, the station emerges from the cavern. Leia contacts Cal Omas to tell him the good news. 
She wants the Rin acknowledged for their intelligence that outdid the Alliance military and other spy networks. Elsewhere, Han talks to Tahiri and learns that she let Droma sneak off the Salonia. Tahiri gives Han a message from the Rin, and he soon realizes the mysterious voice at the bar on Onadax was Droma. Tahiri says Droma may have left, but she thinks that Han will see him, his friend again one day, maybe sooner than he thinks. Time for a break. When we return, Jay and I will talk more about Force Heretic 3 Reunion by Sean Williams and Shane Dix. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath, Empire's End is the conclusion to the best-selling trilogy about the final days of the Empire. Nora Wexley and her team hunt for Imperial Grand Admiral Ray Sloan, who's searching for the mysterious Gallius Rex. And it all culminates at one last battle on the planet Jakku. Will Nora and Ray Sloan be able to stop Rex from implementing the Emperor's final plan? Find out in Aftermath, Empire's End by Chuck Wendig, the final book in the Aftermath trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today... Jay and I are talking about Force Heretic 3, Reunion, by Sean Williams and Shane Dix, the 17th book in the New Jedi Order series. Well, Jay, first off, the biggest plot in this trilogy of stories is finding and convincing the living planet Zanama Seacott to join the Alliance, and the Jedi in the war against the Yuuzhan Vong. We have finally gotten to the planet here in this book. What are your thoughts about Zanama Seacott? What are your thoughts about this storyline? And what do you think Jason and Luke are hoping the planet can do against the Yuuzhan Vong? Uh, well, we covered it a little bit in our summary. While Jason was talking to the image of Vergeer at the same time, Luke was talking to um, Vision of Anakin Skywalker, and Seacott asked them the same thing. If I offered you weapons, would you take it? Jason said no. Luke said yes, because he had a vision of the entire universe being enslaved including his son Ben so he's like how can I how can I turn that down knowing that that's the result so obviously that can have huge implications for both of them going forward with the storyline Jason is still very much in his we can solve this without um, violence that he's been in through this entire series 
and you know Luke's still the weapon that he was back in Empire right there are two different trains of thoughts um, now what does that mean for when they bring this back to the Jedi Order you know are we going to get that division again that some people want action others don't are they in that dire straits now that that's the only option I, I find the whole planet of Zanama Seacott interesting um, but it seems like a major almost like a major weapon being pointed in unknown if it's a good or a bad way so one of the very few things about the new Jedi Order series that doesn't quite work for me is Zanama Seacott I think it's just a little too fantastical, I guess, for me, for Star Wars. It also feels a little comic booky, if I can describe it that way. I also have a hard time with the fact that people who live on the planet interact with it in as though it's two separate entities. The physical world itself, I guess, is similar to how we interact with our physical world here in real life. But the planet has developed some sort of consciousness that it can speak to the Pharaohans and it can speak to our heroes. It can take the form of whatever it wants, and that they call Seacot. Again, this is my favorite story in Legends. I think this is one of the better stories in all of Star Wars. But this one aspect of the story just has never worked well for me. Does Sonoma Seacott work for you? Uh, I, I'm like you. It's honestly something that's never really worked for me. Um, Kat brought up in the last episode, when I first read this, I had the same thought as Kat, that this was the... Green Lantern planet Mogo and actually as you were just talking about that and the, the relationship I was reminded of uh, the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie with Ego and I was like so I can kind of see that communication a bit there between regular beings and this giant you know immense consciousness um, but it Zanama Seacott has always been something for me that hasn't truly worked. Um, but, uh, you know, there's other things in Star Wars like that, too. Like, when I watched Rebels, um, the Bindu was... I had the same reaction to the Bindu. See, and, and maybe that part of the story where Seacott tells our heroes that they would not be able to fully grasp what the entity is maybe on some level they're talking to me that I just can't grasp the notion of a living sentient planet but regardless if it works for me or not regardless if it works for you or not this is the story we have when Seacott tells both Luke and Jason that it had been visited by several Jedi in the past. You know, they knew about Vergeer. 
But when they are told that it was visited by Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, what did you think the first time you read this? Do you remember what you thought the first time you read this? Was it a surprise to you? Yeah, it was actually a surprise to me the first time I read this. Um, and I wanted that story. And then I think a few months later is when Rogue Planet came out and gave me that story. So it was like, at the time, that was like a huge thing. Like, wait, what do do you mean Anakin Skywalker's been there and Obi-Wan Kenobi has been there? Um, And I also like the little callback that they said that one of the attacks on Zenoma Seacott was done by Commander Tarkin on that same mission. And that big, that big chasm that they fly over in this book happened during the Road Planet novel when Zenoma Seacott was defending itself against the first attack. Now, for me, I didn't read Rogue Planet until just two years ago for the podcast. That was the first time I ever read the story. So the stuff they discuss in this book... I didn't know that story until a couple years ago. You knew that story way back in 2003. I did. And I I remember being slightly disappointed when I read Rogue Planet because, I don't know, maybe I was just expecting more. Maybe I, I was expecting more explanation on Zenoma Seacott. Um, but that was such an interesting tie-in um, and then continuing on with Outbound Flight and how that connected to this series. You know, I, I can just remember reading this stuff and going, wow, like this really feels like a cohesive universe. All right. So my favorite story in this book is the Tahiri Ryana story. Tahiri is now more than what she was. The torture that was inflicted upon her is not something that a person can just get over, can forget about. They have to try to figure out a way to live with it going forward. This is an allegory to that. Rather than constantly fighting what she went through. Tahiri has to figure out a way to live with it and move on with her life. And I think they do a really good job with it in this whole series, but specifically in this book. What did you think about the Tahiri storyline? I I actually love that storyline. I wanted more Um, even from how it starts off where they, you know, are battling on this distant, familiar, but not familiar place on the edge of an abyss. Like that's how it starts. And I actually love the idea that this is her coming to terms with her, with her trauma, um, and not fighting herself anymore and accepting of that. And even when I, and I don't think I had this thought when I first read it, but reading it this time, I almost felt like Tahiri's guilt over Anakin 
and moving on from Anakin. She was relying on Anakin so much as a crutch to bury that trauma. And I think had Anakin survived, Tahiri still would have had problems, but she had that extra, she would have had that extra person to help bury, literally bury that trauma and that personality that would have eventually emerged in some other way, in some other form. And I think that was such a light bulb moment for me when Rena was like, you're beating yourself up because you feel guilty that you've moved on. Not that you lived, but that you thought that you would be grieving over this a lot longer, but you found a way to continue on not face that trauma anymore and be you and find a happiness that wasn't Anakin. I think one of the parts that the Rihanna personality talks about is that she and Tahiri have to face down and slay, quote unquote, the shadow that is keeping Tahiri in this place where she can't move on. And I think it's smart that it's Jaina. And when I first read it, I remember like, I don't really know if that makes a whole lot of sense. But the more I thought about it, when you go back and look at the stories after Star by Star, when Anakin dies, every time... Jaina and Tahiri are kind of in the same place. Jaina looks at Tahiri and just sees Anakin. The words that the authors use, what Jaina thinks about, she's always looking at Tahiri in a pitying way. She pities Tahiri. And I think Tahiri picks up on that and she can't then move on from Anakin's death because this one person from Anakin's family, Jaina, on some level, just can't move on from Anakin's death when she looks at Tahiri almost as though on some level, whether consciously or unconsciously, Jaina blames Tahiri. I may be way off from what the two authors want to convey, but after thinking about it, that's the way I took it. And I thought that was a pretty smart decision by Williams and Dix. Yeah, I, I also saw reading it this time too, like you talk about how Jaina reacts to Tahiri. Everyone else reacts to Tahiri like there's something wrong with her right? She can sit there and say, I'm fine all they want, but every single person looks at her and go, well, you shouldn't be fine. There's something wrong with you, but maybe it was just that she ha was trying to move on and was just waiting for that acceptance from someone to say, yeah, maybe you are fine. But everyone treated her like they wanted her at arm's length because there was something wrong with her. And 
we have so many characters that go through a traumatic experience like Jaina did, like Jason did, and they fall back on their family, right? There's someone there to prop them up, to help them down that path. And Tahiri didn't have that. Everyone kept her at arm's length and was almost like, I don't want to engage in that. I know you're hurting, but something's not right. Well, Jag was suspicious of Tahiri. Uh, now, you could say he was a little outside of the family, obviously. So he, he has kind of an outsider view. I do think Leia, in her interactions with Tahiri, wanted to help Tahiri work through her grief, work through the issues that she was having. In the scenes where... Jaina and Tahiri are together. I never got that sense from Jaina. I just got the sense that Jaina kept looking at Tahiri with pity and that Tahiri picked up on that. And maybe something in Tahiri was like, well, is there something wrong with me? Should there be something wrong with me? Because this person that I've looked up to, this person that I love as a family member, thinks something is wrong with me. And I think it wasn't until Jaina was the one that accepted Tahiri the way she is now that Tahiri and Ryana were then, the two personalities, were able to then coexist. I, I also think it's now seeing this and that internal struggle and knowing that Tahiri is been in this battle and Rena has been in this battle since Yavin 4 and that was like one of the very early books and we saw peaks of Rena throughout when you know they attacked on uh, Coruscant when they had the um, that dark Jedi that they were going after and she tapped into she turned on Rena and became invisible to the force Lord Nyax yes that's it right but it's now interesting having that that insight and looking back and going well yeah she's actually always been there mm -hmm. and she's the one who protected Tahiri when the bomb went off on Bakura yeah so I, I just I find that that that's really um, an interesting point too and Rena says it too like I don't want you to die because if you die I die right I, I will fight to stay alive so now our heroes have a living planet that we know at some point in time in the past fought off a Yuzhan Vong war party much smaller war party but fought off a Yuzhan Vong war party and we now have a Jedi Yuzhan Vong being in Tahiri. One of the things about this series is that the Jedi cannot sense anything about the Yuzhan Vong and the Force. Could Tahiri be the conduit or be the bridge into teaching the Jedi how to sense? the Yuzhan Vong in the Force. Absolutely. I think that that's entirely a possibility. And 
definitely would be an asset for the Jedi to do that. The the only other person that even comes close to having that kind of insight is Jason. And, you know, maybe being on Zenomacy got Luke and Jason tap into something that allows them, because they have, you know, biological symbiotic ships on Zenoma Seacott. Maybe there's a secret there that they can, you know, learn through the Force that uh, helps them see the Yuza Vong in the Force, or as Tahiri puts it, in her Vong sense. Um, but I definitely think that that's, that's a possibility that, to hear, you know, as long as people are willing to listen to her, that she may be able to give them some clues as to how to see this foe they haven't been able to engage in in that way. And Tahiri is now the third person, the third Jedi, that has this Vong sense. We started with Anakin when he had the Lambit crystal that he used for his lightsaber. We had Jaina, or Jaina, excuse me, Jason, when he was captured, when he had the little piece of Yorick coral implanted in his chest, he could then sense the dur, however you pronounce it, dur- durium. I-, I can never remember how you pronounce that. The world brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter how you pronounce any of these words. And now we have Tahiri, who on some level can sense the Yuzhan Vong. So I think it's just a matter of time. We have two books left. It's a matter of time before something happens and the Jedi are opened up to the Force in a different way than what they always have been. And then they can sense the Yuzhan Vong, and all of their biotechnology that they haven't been able to sense up to now. So the other storyline that I want to talk about before we get off here is the prophet, Naminor, in this story, finally starts making inroads, sowing distrust amongst the higher castes in Shimra's court. The priestess Ngala, or however you pronounce her name, there's a lot of A's in there. There's a G and an N beside each other in kind of a weird way. She talks Shimra into allowing her to lead the investigation into how the heresy is moving through the castes. And in doing so, Naminor uses her to start pointing out some of his political rivals. She places false evidence in the houses of Naminor's political rivals. There's like three or four members of the intendant cast that Naminor just didn't like that Ngala plants false evidence in there and gets them executed. This is the juicy part of the New Jedi Order in my opinion. What do you think happens with Naminor and the heresy going forward? Because now, I mean, this is a juicy book, and he he takes revenge on some of his political rivals, but in the end, he also loses his insider. She slips up, and 
Shimra has her executed. Well, she commits suicide before he can execute her. Yeah, um, it, it is actually a very juicy thing. Um, she kind of almost did her job too well, and that's what created the sp- suspicion that she was the informer. Um, but again, we also see that Namanor still hasn't quite got the political backing from his followers. No, they tried. They they tried to uh, mutiny, and well, one of them tries to mutiny and tries to kill him at one point. Yeah, it was someone he considered in his inner circle, but he's like he wasn't smart enough to do this coup. So who's actually behind this? So there's a spy, obviously, in his court that's reporting back to Shimra. That is, you know, it's, it, I find the use of Vong very interesting in this regard where you know they they really never trust each other you know uh shimra treats it like he's talked about how their resources and their warriors and whatnot are very limited because of the battles that they they lost but to get rid of this heresy he's willing to execute entire domains if it will stop (laughs) So I just, I find this very interesting as to how they deal with their problems. You and I and the rest of our fellow hosts on the Legends Lounge were also big fans of the A Song of Ice and Fire book series. This storyline, to me, reads a lot like the King's Landing storylines, specifically once Tywin comes back and becomes the Hand again. Uh, I just think this is really juicy Lannister infighting. Shimra, on some level, is a combination of Tywin and Cersei, and Naminor is Tyrion. Yeah, I, I, I can I can totally see that. I, w- I actually wanted more of that story in this book, to be totally honest. I, pr- I could have done without the uh, Han and Leia story um, a little bit. You know, I loved that the Galactic Alliance and the Imperials found a way to work together and actually are starting to trust each other. But most of that storyline, I was like, I, I, this is not great. Give me, give me more of what's going on on Yuzantar. Yeah, well, you, you know, I, 100% honest, I had completely forgot the Isfandia plotline with the Cold Ones and the Relay Station until I read it. It was almost like reading it all over again because I had completely forgotten that stuff. Well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about, specifically about this book, that we haven't covered here in our analysis? No, I think we've uh, covered just about everything. Like, I I can't talk enough about the Tahiri Rena stuff. Like, that I just was so riveted by and, you know, was just so drawn in that, like, it, I think it's some of the just in general for like trauma for finding a new path and you know changes in your life like i I think it's just such a compelling part of this story you know the authors of these books did not have the concept of the world between worlds back when they wrote these but some of the scenes between tahiri and rayana deep within tahiri's mind remind me of how the world between worlds was used 
specifically in the Ahsoka show, not as much how they used it in Rebels. And I think going forward, that's going to be kind of my headcanon, that this is Tahiri and Rihanna in the world between worlds. I actually really like that. I think that's going to be my headcanon too now. (laughs) All right, Jay, it's almost time to go. But first, I'd like to read an email from one of our listeners. This email comes from Will B. And Will says, Hey there, Aaron. I've been wanting to send you an email for a while. Your podcast helped me get through some tough times, and I really appreciate your love of the subject and the passion you put into your content. I don't have any questions, but I just wanted to reach out and say thank you. I'm buying my first Star Wars book today. Well, thank you very much for the email, Will. It's a very humbling email. Everyone goes through some tough times. Congratulations to you on working through yours. Look, this podcast is just a place where I talk about the Star Wars books that I liked growing up in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't. If listening to this show helped raise your spirits while you were working through your issues, or if you're still working through them, Will, I'm honored that you tune in. We all need an escape at times. So, Will, if you or anyone else listening, if this podcast can be escape for you, that's fantastic. Jay and I are big advocates of mental health. Jay, what what did you think about Will's email? Will, that it's a very touching email. Um, I'm so happy that you found this and that it helped you through some dark times. Um, enjoy the Star Wars. It's there for everyone. And I actually really want to know what book you're buying as your first Star Wars book. A- absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let us know what book you got. And uh, as Aaron and I can attest, we are you know, in a fan base for the A Song of Ice and Fire um, books. And you can really find some community in stuff that you love. So if Star Wars is something that you love, there is a huge community out there. You'll find your people. They can help you. And I'm so happy to hear that um, that this podcast helped you do that. Will, did you get a Legends book? Did you get a Canon book? Did you like the book? Or did it stink? T- tell us if it stunk. Tell, tell us if you thought it was great. Send us an email, let us know which book you chose and what you thought of it. And if you would like any recommendations, you or anyone else listening to this show would like a recommendation for a Star Wars book, just send me an email. Jay and I, or any of the other co-hosts, can happily give you some suggestions. Once again, listener, if you have something that you'd like to tell us, or If you have a question for the show, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send a tweet at legendslounge1. Jay, thank you very much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here, Aaron. Like, this has been so much fun. I'm sad that uh, I won't actually get to cover another book. This is it for me. Well, we are planning that roundtable sometime after the holidays in early January that uh, we'll be able to talk about the whole series. 
before we let you go, Jay, tell us what is coming up on your podcast, Animated Antics. We are about to record our episode for uh, covering season one of The Clone Wars. Um, we have covered several Star Wars um, shows, but uh, that's that's what we'll be uh, covering next is Clone Wars season one. Season one, a little bit of a roller coaster, in my opinion. There's a couple good things in there. There's a couple that uh, aren't so great. I agree. I think Clone Wars really found its stride in season three. And then from there, it just became amazing. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. So season one, here we come. If anyone would like to contact you, Jay, or contact your show, how can they do that? Uh, you can send us an email. Uh, we actually haven't had one yet, but you can send it at animatedantic0 at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter or X, or whatever it's called, uh, at jncat1. You can find us on Blue Sky, Animated Antics Pod, or on Instagram, Animated Antics Podcast. So uh, any of those places, feel free to send us a message. Uh, we'll probably be putting a poll up shortly about what the uh, next series that we're going to cover is. And uh, yeah, happy to hear about anything you know, you want to talk about Star Wars, happy to do it. Want some uh, animation recommendations? Happy to do it. You know, or just tune into my our podcast and uh, tell us what you like or what you don't like. Coming up on the next episode, Matt and I will talk about the penultimate book in the New Jedi Order series, The Final Prophecy by Greg Keyes. You can look forward to that episode coming out on December 8th. Thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge today. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.